what they always say, you know, the sailing community is that you will break before the boat will. You will mentally break or physically break before the boat will, will break. I like having three of us on the boat because then two of us can do something on the boat. And then I've done it before where I'm like, you grab the camera, film it, and we're going to do this. Whereas if there's only two of us, I mean, I'm like, we got to do this. We'll get the camera later and talk about it. What I didn't get to ask her that I'd love to ask you is if the traveling content stuff ever feels like a job. Is it an escape for you or are you on the clock all the time? We were talking about internet service. What do you have when you're out on the water? What contact is there? You don't hear a whole lot of people in their 30s having strokes, aneurysms, things like that. It does happen, but it's not, you know, an everyday thing. How do you, how do, you do this? Knowing that, that a significant problem can pop up out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown, the home of Make Something Mean Something. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is... Matthew Tabor, and we are live on Discord because it is TCU night. TCU night is every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Eastern. We are hanging out with our patrons in the episode chat and some lurkers and creepers who aren't patrons but just want to hang out and listen. And uh, we like them to do that. Welcome, lurkers, Love creepers, etc. Yeah, and it's good to have uh, people showing up week after week like this. This is awesome. Uh, we have... We've got a really unique one today, uh, but uh, a couple a couple Patreon notes. Uh, one is that we have we still have uh, annual uh, annual subs up, uh, which gets you a few months free. It's quite a deal out there. I think it's uh, twenty dollars straight up for the year to be a twelve month tot. That cuts a couple months off from it. Uh, and also, I wanted to wanted to shout out Electro Voice because, uh, again, they they hooked us up with some very nice microphones, the RE20s, uh, timed with the release of uh, the RE20 Black. There's there's a, kind of this putty color to the original one, and it's you know it's kind of been the gold standard for broadcast microphones over a couple decades now. And then they released that in black in late November. Kevin opted for black. I opted for putty because I like the earthy aesthetic. Uh, but these I have like been to be really... shrouded in darkness. If anybody actually <laughs> is watching right now in Discord, I have my camera on. You can see there's very little light, and what light there is is eerie. And frightening, and that's the way I like it. <laughs> well, the mics have been amazing, and uh, we've gotten great feedback from uh, Ben, who handles our sound. Uh, people like uh, Bassweight, who know microphones better than they should, giving us feedback. It's really good stuff. So, uh, yeah, if you want good sound, check out some of the Electro Voice stuff. It's excellent. Uh, are we are we ready to talk guest, Kevin? Yes. Yeah. Really, really excited. Uh, quite a departure from our normal guest. And that's yes, that's what uh, that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. So many of the people who we've interviewed have found YouTube as an outlet for their art in this natural progression of creativity. Most of the stories are like that. A handful Stumbled onto the platform in in really unlikely ways. Bobby White, whose channel is called Sailing Doodles, might be the unlikeliest of all of them. And in episode 79, 
it uh, seems plausible that we wouldn't top this story in the next 79 episodes either. Bobby was a commercial pilot for 18 years until suffering a stroke at the age of 38. All of a sudden, he wasn't even able to read, let alone fly a plane. Selling real estate didn't quite work out. So he, he made the obvious career move to sell everything he owned to purchase a 35-year-old boat. He set sail with a friend and his two Labradoodles and started filming it. Five years later, he's getting 25 million views a month on YouTube and has rabid fan bases on Instagram and Patreon. By the way, spending six months at one of Bobby's top tiers gets you an invitation to sail along with him. His most recent episode is about scouring the coast of Belize. He travels with different crew members, some of whom are recurring. He's got a, a vlog style with some camera and some GoPro to catalog days in the life of an adventurer with videos split up into seasons for easy consumption. Uh, a December catastrophe to the boat Naughty Dog, that's N-A-U-T-I, necessitated a video called On Fire, Sinking, Rescued by the Coast Guard, and a dire fundraising appeal. We'll talk more about that. But Bobby, the truly unique thing about you as a YouTuber is that you, you actually seem to like going outside. For the rest of us in YouTube and listening, what's that, what's that like? <laughs> oh, well, hey, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, uh, it was not a career choice that I thought was ever going to happen, you know? <laughs> and uh, it kind of does require to go outside. Uh, nobody wants to watch a video of me in my, you know, hotel room or something. I have to go out there and explore, uh, explore <laughs> the oceans and kind of give people a taste of what it's like because there are a lot of dreamers out there that want to go do it. So what, what year, let's, let's give people a timeline here. What year did, did everything kind of, kind of crumble for you? Well, I believe, so my, my stroke was in 2015. It was in September. Uh, so I was, I, I was, was a pilot. I thought, you know, um, that was going to be my career forever. And, um, you know, I had about, woke up about the worst headache you could ever have. And, uh, Tried to text my girlfriend at the time and all of a sudden realized I couldn't read. And uh, I was like, okay, something's seriously wrong. Uh, I was able to call her because I could still, I was, I, it's hard to describe. I just, I couldn't process the words or letters or numbers or anything. I was able to call her though. And, uh, you know, she obviously told me to go to the hospital right then. And anyway, long story short, I spent a couple weeks in the ICU. They did a couple surgeries to fix it. Um, and then, uh, so uh, I knew that being a pilot was, pretty much, uh, you know, uh, a non-starter at that point. Cause, uh, it's a two year right. minimum for any kind of brain or heart related thing. Like if you have a heart attack or something, it's two years, you're not allowed to fly commercially. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah. So then I tried, tried selling real estate, hated it. And then I, I, I was it. And so in 2016, I had always wanted to go sailing and cruising. And then I, I started, uh, listening to a podcast actually, uh, about sailing and, uh, they inter he interviewed, uh, a sailing couple that was on YouTube and they had around, I don't know, 150,000 subscribers at the time or so. And, uh, so I started watching their YouTube stuff and I was like, well, if they can do it. Why not? So I sold everything I own, bought a boat and, uh, started sailing and making YouTube videos, uh, the fall of 2016. And about the time I, I ran out of money, I was, uh, thanks to Patreon and all the great patrons and, uh, and everything, I was able to earn enough to live on and keep making the videos. And here we are almost five years later now. So you so. really rolled the dice on this. I mean, what did, did you have any kind of backup plan if this went sour? <laughs> uh, sort of. 
Um, you know, I mean, I had always wanted to go sailing and cruising, uh, but I, but you know, do it for extended time, but maybe retire early or something. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, there was nothing holding me back at that point. I mean, cause I hated, yeah. you know, my career as a pilot was done. I hated being a, a, a real estate. And, uh, so I was like, what's the worst that happened? I go out there and I fail. I run out of money. And my backup plan was, is, you know, by the time I run out of money, hopefully I've got enough experienced boating to maybe get a job on a boat as crew, you know? Um, oh, okay. and, and so I would, you know, sell the boat and, uh, and, uh, and, and then, you know, get a good, get a job doing that. But as it turns out about the time I did run my savings d- done, it was, I was earning enough off Patreon and off YouTube to keep going. Um, and what, Oh, sorry, go on, Kevin. Well, uh, yeah, I want to, oh, th- this is, I like knowing why people hate things. First of all, <laughs> that's very interesting to me. Uh, yeah. What was it about real estate that you hated that you just you're I, like, I cannot do this. I'm leaving. It was super high stress. I mean, because everybody, especially residential real estate, I mean, everybody that's buying a house, it's the biggest purchase they will ever make. And right. so they're always super stressed about it. And then that stress kind of feeds over into you because they're always like every day checking up on the process as things going wrong. And then inevitably um, something would go wrong with either the lending side or the title side or something. And it would delay and everybody's freaking out. And it was just, it was just so much stress. And the fact that, so, you know, being a, a commercial pilot, I mean, I was making pretty good money. Um, and, uh, so to maintain that lifestyle, I mean, real estate's not something you can just start doing and then be earning six figures a year. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and so I had to spend a lot of money on advertising. And so if I had a bad month, I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, I was spending like $10,000 a month on advertising. So if I didn't at least earn that much money, you know, I was losing it. And so it was just a lot of stress with that and decided, you know what? It's not worth it. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I, I've always heard, um, as it relates to being a police officer that you're constantly meeting people mm. on the worst day of their lives. Right. And it sounds like as a real estate agent, um, <laughs> it's not that dire, but it sounds pretty close. Like you're constantly involved with people making incredibly life altering and, and sometimes ruinous decisions. Yeah. Well, it's, it's often, you know, it can be the worst day, but it can be also the de- the best day. You know uh-huh. I mean? Somebody buys their first house and it's, you know, when they walk into it that first time when you hand them the keys, they're all pretty excited, you know? And so it can be pretty nice too. So I'm not, I'm not saying it was all bad. I, I, I just, it was the stress part that I, I, I liked dealing with the people a lot, you know, and, and doing all that. But I, the stress was, I, I just didn't, didn't like it. Right. So, went from highly stressful to vacation life. <laughs> it seems well, like. it, can, it can be quite stressful on the boat too. Okay. Um, you know, it's because uh, you're, you have any problem um, or the, the, the weather is different than forecast or something like that. It's not like you can just pull over, you know what I mean? Um, and I mean, it, and you're not moving real fast too. So, uh, and you're, you gotta be, especially, you know, you're, you're dealing with a 35 year old boat and you know, deal with a 35 year old car. There's gonna be a lot of stuff breaking all the time, you know? And yeah. so it, it, it's, it is a, a vacation mode, but it's also a lot of work. And then add on top of that. I mean, you guys know how much there is involved with running a YouTube channel and creating videos and all that. So you add all that together yeah. and it can be a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask you real quick, a point of clarification here. Can you, uh, can you explain the difference between a boat and a ship? Because, uh, Kevin and I, uh, well, Kevin had a, a, a video with, uh, Royal Caribbean cruise. I think it was. Yeah. Royal uh, Caribbean. In, 
Yeah, filming um, that that uh, massive solar eclipse. Uh, it must have been 2017. So they were positioned directly under the point of totality, and and they made a wow. a big show of it, having Bonnie Tyler sing "Total Eclipse of the Heart" as it happened. <laughs> uh, it was that's cool. <laughs> like, it really was pretty wild. But as we as we got on this thing, this woman pulled us aside and <laughs> was like, "Do not call this a boat." <laughs> like it, it was really a strange encounter because it was uh, it was sort of like we'd be saying, you know, like bringing up the one topic that's taboo. So what is the actual difference here between a boat and a ship? Uh, you know, I've never been a stickler for proper nautical terms. Uh, I mean, that's I get a lot of crap for that because uh, uh, on on the videos, because uh, you know how the trolls can be on, on, on oh, yeah. the comments and stuff. And, you know, I say something wrong on the boat. If I call a toilet a toilet instead of a head. You know, I mean, people just leave comments like you don't know what you're doing or something. As far as shipping a boat, I mean, gosh, uh, I mean, a ship is big, <laughs> a boat's small. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know what the deciding factor is on that, like which, which, where, where the lineation is, <laughs> but, what the the line in the sand is, when right? A, yeah, a yeah. boat becomes a the, ship. The line in the yeah. wave, but yeah, right. Matt really did not uh, do justice to how serious this moment was it was it was while we were boarding the ship not the boat (laughs) and it and 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 in terms of it being yeah like the one taboo thing it was like it was like you know don't do not say the name voldemort it was like that (laughs) that's a perfect way to put it it had this gravity it just this seriousness that I mean, we we'd struggled to get there on time and, uh, you know, to get through uh, the port and everything. And, and we had some gear problems. Uh, Eric, who was who <laughs> was handling all the filming and stuff, uh, I think he had a suitcase full of gear that didn't arrive on time. We were scrambling. And then all of a sudden, this is the biggest issue in the world <laughs> is is terminology on ship and boat. Uh, so it, you you mentioned that. Um, you know, that you're not a stickler on the terminology. What was your level of, of knowledge with all of this coming <laughs> uh, into the project? As far as sailing or YouTube or, or what? Uh, sail, sailing. Uh, like, was this truly out of the blue or had you been sailing for a long time, you know, recreationally? Uh, I, you know, I grew up sailing small boats, like, you know, little lasers and sunfish, which are just one or yep. two person boats. And, you know, it's no big deal if you flip the thing over because whatever, they're easy to write. Um, so I, I kind of knew the general stuff on it. I had chartered a, a boat a couple times, um, a Beneteau in the Bahamas, um, just as a, you know, you do a week-long charter and you go cruising around. Um, I had never had any formal training. Um, and, you know, uh, I mean, I read a lot of books about it um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, dreamed about it. And, you know, this was I read a lot of books back before, you know, you could YouTube and watch anything on it. You know, it was guys that had written books about them traveling around the world on the boat, you know. And so you kind of got a lot of good insight on like how things work when you're out there. Um, And then, you know, sailing is, I mean, it's just physics. Uh, You know, I mean, it's, it, it, it it all makes sense. You know, I mean, there's nothing magical about it. It's just, it is, you know, the wind goes this way, you go that way, you know. So, and then if the wind gets so high, you get so big of waves and you got to, you got to really, I mean, I think being a pilot kind of uh, played into it, making it easier because navigating is very similar um, for an airplane and, and a boat. Uh, it's just, you know, in two dimensions instead of three. And uh, the weather planning and all that is very similar and and uh, and kind of 
especially in the commercial side of airline stuff. I mean, you go to school on those airplanes for two to three weeks a year. And um, basically, they teach you how they build the airplane. And so you get a lot of mechanical and engineering information on that, which kind of translates into the sailing thing, too. What kind of things did you learn in the books? Like, I I would imagine, uh, I mean, I don't know anything about anything (laughs) when it comes to, (laughs) like, cars, like any sort of vehicle. Um, If it... it, um, is more complex than the the ballpoint pen that I'm holding. I'm I'm totally ignorant to it. So I would imagine in my naive dumb brain that <laughs> actually experiencing sailing is is how I would learn how to do sure. everything and have somebody hands on like that type of learning. What kind of things did you learn from the books that you that you were able to apply uh, once you started doing it? Well, a lot of it's uh you know, like weather planning and, uh, you know, like you don't want to be sailing in the the Caribbean from July to October, right? I mean, that's hurricane season, or you got to at least be aware of that. And you have to keep track of, you know, where the, you know, if there's a name storm coming or whatever. Uh, And then, you know, things like, you know, when are the trade winds? Like, you know, uh, you, uh, you know, if you're wanting to go across the Pacific Ocean, you don't want to do it in, you know, November, December, right? I mean, you don't have the trade winds and that's the storm season. So you wait until March when you have trade winds and you have a good crossing for the cross Pacific Ocean. And so it's just stuff like that. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, as far as actually the sailing part and getting out there and doing it, there's no, there's no replacement for actually experiencing it. I mean, you can do all the book smarts you want. You can even take the classes. You go to school, uh, you can, you can take a week long school on, you know, how to sail and all that. And they put you on a boat and do all that. But until you're the captain of the boat and you're the one responsible and in charge, you, you know, um, you, you just got to experience that. And, uh, and, and, you know, that, that's, that's the plain and simple of it. Mm-hmm. What is a trade wind? So the trade winds are generally, you know, you got, uh, the rotation of the earth, right? So uh, on the lower latitudes towards like the equator, they generally blow from east to west. Um, and then, you know, you got the Coriolis effect, which turns the, you know, as you go more northern, um, you know, to the middle latitudes, like say the latitude of like Kansas or something, the winds generally go west to east, you know, they just kind of circle around. And so, and, you know, different times of the year in different places, the weather patterns can change that, you know, um, like for instance, uh, like near Indonesia for most half the year, they go east to west and then they kind of turn around and go the other way. Um, and so, it, you know, you just got to be aware of this, you know, the storm seasons and stuff like that. So, yeah. You put all this together, you sell everything. <laughs> um, what, what was the, the first route that you planned? Like, did you have, did you just, uh, kind of get out and figure it out as you went along? Or did you think, okay, here's a, a definitive kind of run that I'm going to do and then I'll figure it and then I'll go from there. I mean, I had a general idea, uh, get to the Bahamas and then, you know, can island hop the Bahamas. But I started in Houston, Texas and um, probably wasn't the smartest thing to do because I didn't have a whole lot of experience. But we had just what was a perfect weather window. It was a full moon. We had good forecast for four or five days. And it was it was five days to cross the uh, Gulf of Mexico, like straight across from uh, from Houston to Key West, basically. And uh you know, I told, talked to my friend and we were planning maybe just hugging the coast and going down. And then I was like, man, this is just weather window is just too perfect. And, uh, so we're like, screw it, let's go. And so we did five days. It was our first sale. <laughs> Probably not the smartest thing to do. Um, straight across the Gulf of Mexico, um, without a whole lot of experience and dodging, you know, there's a million oil platforms out there and stuff. And some of them aren't lit very well. And 
and uh, you know, go across there. So we, but we made it, no problem at all. Uh, and uh, kind of freaked the family out a little because we were, we actually made it to, because um, we told them it'd be about five days. It ended up taking us six to get to the Dry Tortugas, but there's no um, cell phone service there or internet or anything, so we couldn't notify anybody we were there for a couple more days. We actually, <laughs> there was a guy. They have a little tourist boat uh, airplane that like uh, on floats that goes back and forth. I gave uh, a guy that was going back my mother's phone number and said, Hey, will you text her when you get there and let her know we're alive? Cause it, it was still a couple more days till we could get to Key West. So she was freaking out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. She so, must have been so and, and then just Key West, we made it as far as the Virgin islands um, that year. And then, uh, and then came back and left the boat in Puerto Rico for hurricane season. The, the full moon is that uh, for visibility? Is that what, what yeah. the benefit is there? Yeah, it really makes it better um, uh, at night because if there's no moon and you're offshore, you know, I mean, more than 20 something miles, you don't get any, you know, light radiation, you know, or whatever light from the cities and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it's dark out there and it's really unnerving because, you know, you, you can't see the waves, you can feel them and you can hear them sometimes, especially, man, like if you got a following sea, which means the seas, the waves are going with you from behind to forward. Um, and you got a big, you know, there anything over like 15, 20 knots of wind, though the waves are starting to get pretty big and, and you can hear the waves kind of rolling over behind you. And that's a little bit unnerving because you, when you can't see it, you know, uh, and so that can be a little <laughs> intimidating the first time that happens. <laughs> yeah. But, Sounds scary <laughs> to me. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it can be, uh, you know, but that's what, once you get that experience, you know, I mean, that's what it is. Once you get that experience and you know what your boat can do. I mean, generally speaking, the, what they always say in, um, you know, the sailing community is that you will break before the boat will. And most, most, I mean, you will, you will mentally break or physically break before the boat will, will break. You know what I mean? And unless you're just in a terrible situation. Um, and that's, and that is just poor planning generally on your part, you know? Um, or, I mean, you know, it can be poor planning or, I mean, uh, whether that's uh, unforecasted or just a series of events, you know, it's never just one thing when there's a failure that leads to some kind of problem. Um, it's, it's never like this happened. So you're screwed. It's three or four or five things added up to cause the problem. And that's the same with airplanes and boats. It's never just one thing, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't check something or something else broke, which caused more stress on this other part, which caused more stress on another one and, and all that. So, when you did that first, uh, that first five or six day run, did you start filming straight away? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing really filming wise. Um, man, I think back, uh, yeah, we, so we I think we recorded, uh, a couple of videos of that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was using a very basic editor and I look back at the quality of those videos, especially the audio. Oh man, it was so bad. Uh, and, um, uh, but you know, I mean it, so five or six years ago, there was only maybe a dozen or less uh, sailing channels on YouTube. And so it really wasn't as hard to stand out and to gain a following and all that. And But nowadays, there's hundreds, if not thousands. So starting out now, I think, would be way more difficult than it was then. Um, so I'm glad I started when I did. Um, I mean, heck, I mean, like, you know, you guys started, I don't know, Vsauce about 10 years ago or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Vsauce started, yeah, right at the, the first... Yeah. wave no pun intended of of educational uh youtube right. channels it was really at the forefront a- along with people like uh, smarter every day and mm-hmm. uh, metaphysics and um 
Vi Hart. Uh, there was a handful, but it wasn't like you say today. It's very similar. The education mm-hmm. space on YouTube now is uh, there's a, a billion channels. Right. Well, it's I hard think, to. Yeah, I think everybody feels that same way, though, looking back at the initial stuff. And Kevin mentioned Smarter Every Day. Destin was. That was the first episode of this podcast that we ever released. He was episode number one. And he was, I remember him talking in it about the first thing that, that he did that got big, which was uh, holding a chicken and showing that <laughs> their heads stabilize even when you move the chicken around in a circle. And I've it's like, uh, yeah, it's like a 90 second video of a guy doing goofy stuff with a chicken. Like, <laughs> There's no production quality. There's nothing outrageous about it, you know. And and now you see the things that he that he does, and uh, you know it's it's shocking levels of quality and planning and research and production. Well, you know what? He started by, you know, kind of gently gently choking a chicken, uh, and then you know here he is now. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, I think. Uh, getting in at the right time is is a nice bonus, but uh, I think everybody's got that story of uh, you know their initial stuff just is not you know it's not going to win them uh, an Emmy. Well, I think a lot of it is uh, what I did. I mean, anyways, I just everything I I just I, every time I edited a video, I learned a little bit not only the editing but how to film it better. And then you know, as I made more money, I would upgrade equipment, upgrade cameras, upgrade to drones and all that, and. So you just, you, 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 uh, unless you just have an unlimited budget and experience to begin with it, you know, you know, it's just, you got to start somewhere, right. And roll it in and, and do a little bit, you know, even if it's just using your phone, you know, I mean, heck the camera on and audio on phones these days is pretty good. You can do a, a definitely a high production level with a phone. No problem. Mm-hmm. Did you start fresh on all of the, the media elements of this, or is that something you'd pl- that you'd played with in the past? No, I, I, uh, I mean, I was total novice at it. Um, and kind of, gosh, I mean, I think back, I mean, it would take me 17 or 20 hours to edit a video to start, you know? Uh, and then I actually ended up hiring an editor nine, 10 months ago, um, which was one of the best things I've done. Um, just, just take, take so much of the workload off, you know, and he's better at it than I was, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, cause now I can concentrate on the more creative parts and doing, you know, uh, you know, creating more content instead of having to spend, you know, cause I'm, I'm doing a video every five days. So, you know, instead of having to spend 15, 20 hours a week editing, I can work on other stuff, be more productive. Yeah. That's one of our biggest mantras that we, we, we repeat and try to bash over the head of all of our listeners and everyone <clears throat> that we speak to on this podcast is as soon as you can afford. And, and that's mm-hmm. the big thing, you know, to be able to afford to pay somebody to, to edit for you. Um, but as soon as you can do that, do it because yeah. it is such an unbelievable, um, an unbelievable burden that is relieved of you. And like you said, and, and all of a sudden that 15 hours, that 20 hours that you reclaimed, right? you can, now you can do, um, things that you never could do before building and, and growing and, and learning more and getting better shots that you didn't have time to get or whatever. And, you know, watching your videos, I would love to hear about what your process is for making them because they're, they're many documentaries. These aren't really vlogs. It's not like, Hey guys, I'm in the Bahamas. I just got here. Um, I'm having Mahi Mahi or whatever. It, it looks like you are stitching together or you, your editor now is stitching together a lot of footage from different 
days at different parts and, you know, uh, reaching shore or having a problem. So like, how long is it taking you to, to make a video and, and how much footage are you recording to then get that 14 minutes of, of content? Right. Um, you know, generally an episode is over two days. Um, and there, I don't really have much of, I don't, I might have a general outline of what we're going to do. I'll think, okay, you know, today, uh, we're going to go, uh, we're going to sail to this other Island and then we're going to go explore that Island, do some hiking. And then they got a nice little, uh, resort and, you know, maybe we'll get into paddle boarding or go fishing or do something like that. Um, I, I don't really plan or script anything out. I just kind of record it as we go. I have a couple different cameras. Um, you know, the Lumix GH5 is my primary camera, but if I'm going to be in kind of a, I mean, I'm on the water, right? So if I'm going to be in a somewhat dangerous, uh, you know, where something could get wet, I, you know, GoPro with the, the Hero 8 with the media kit, like the external mic that adds on. Uh, the audio is so much better using that. Um, and then just kind of, you know, as you're going along, you're thinking, okay, this would be a good shot for this. And you kind of do it all. But the main part, especially what I always tell people if they're getting into it is go through and organize your footage like the next day. Um, while it's still fresh on your mind and you know what all those shots were, you don't have to sit there like, you know, if I've got stuff from two months ago, I'm like, oh man, what was I doing that day? I don't even remember. And then I'll forget some scene that was kind of important. Mm. Whereas now I organize the footage and for my editor, uh, I'll organize the footage in like, I'll put like, say I'll have a episode 25, right? And then in that folder, I'll have uh, seven or eight subfolders and they'll be labeled one, two, three, four, five. And so, in, and it's just, sequential right and so like you know one is like okay getting up in the morning and getting the boat moving and putting the sails up right number two is underway we saw some dolphins and you know or caught a fish and number three is like we arrived there and went to the beach and you know so each folder has its title as like a number and then its basic description and then i put all the footage in there from the cameras and if the footage is not very uh if it doesn't if it's nonsensical basically or non-sequential I'll put a little read my read my file in there. Be like, okay, this happened on here and here, and so my editor kind of knows all the stuff. I've actually never talked to him on the phone. Um, <laughs> we've only emailed back and forth, uh, and uh, and so that's kind of thing. But there is no real plan. I mean, you know, through experience. I mean, you, you guys know. I mean, you get uh, you know what's going to make good footage and what's not going to make good footage. Um, and then, so, but sometimes I, you know. Uh, even I'm like, oh, that's not going to be good, but I'll, you know, whoever I'm with be like, oh, I'll just film it. And like, okay, fine. I do it. And like, you know what? That it did, that did work. And so you just got to keep your eyes, you know, mind open to trying different stuff there and trying out new shots and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love hearing how the sausage is made because it's <laughs> fascinating to me, like your subfolders and ordering them and, and labeling them uh, because yeah, that sort of like systemization of content is, is everything when you're doing repeatable things so you're making mm -hmm. a video every or, or you're you're putting it together every two days you're putting them out what every five days or something like that yeah i try to do every five days but i mean yeah. that's why i think organizing the footage is so i mean doing it soon like within a day or two of filming it um because it, like, it's fresh in your mind but then i've had you have anybody that's ever filmed with a gopro knows that all of a sudden it'll reset the date and time on it and then so you have no idea when something was shot right so like i'll oh. just have uh, and that's just the worst because you're like, oh my God, I have like 80 files on that SD card still, which day was from which. And you're like, oh, and it's just, it's awful. So, I mean, if you do that every, if you're doing it every couple of days, you'll catch number one, that 
your GoPro has done that to itself. And also it's easier to, okay, this was over here. This goes with this episode and you can move it where you need it to be. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that uh, you didn't get? Like, is there any um, sort of white whale uh, that you, 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 like a crazy moment that occurred that wasn't captured on film that bothers you? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of times when uh, kind of the thing about sailing too is that often, you know, uh, you got to take care of the boat and what's going on first. And so, especially if you're shorthanded on crew, like I've done it before where like, I need to do, I need to change this sail right now because the wind's really picking up. If we don't, we're going to be in a bad spot. And, you know, if I've got enough people, like I try, I like having three of us on the boat because then two of us can do something on the boat. And then I've done it before where I'm like, okay, you grab the camera, film it, and we're going to do this. You know, whereas if there's only two of us, I mean, I'm like, we got to do this. We'll get the camera later and talk about it. Um, so there's been a few things like, uh, you know, uh, storms coming through and, and uh, like, uh, <laughs> like this whole thing, I'm sure we'll get to it or whatever. But, uh, you know, when I, my boat was damaged back in November um, of this last year, uh, you know, uh, Coast Guard showing up and stuff like that. But I mean, I had to manage the boat instead of grab a camera. I did film as much as I could, but I was actually solo at the time. So it was even that much harder to, to do. Um, so, uh, so that would definitely something like that it would be adjusting for weather, um, adjusting sales or like when you're dealing with, with an emergency and you can't always film it. So what happened with, <laughs> what happened with this disaster? How did this, cause you mentioned earlier that, uh, when, when things really go South, it's a, a combination of things. What, mm -hmm. what piled up for you here? Well, uh, so it was supposed to be a 36 hour sail from Norfolk, Virginia, um, down around to Beaufort, um, North Carolina. Uh, my boat, there is a, a it's called the intercoastal waterway where you can kind of cut through the, the land basically on a, on a, on a man-made, uh, waterway. Um, but my boat doesn't fit in that. It's too tall for the bridges. So I had to go on the outside around Cape Hatteras, which Cape Hatteras is, you know, I call it the graveyard of the Atlantic. You know, there's hundreds of boats out there because the weather can get really rough really quick. And I thought I had a pretty good weather window. And for the first 24 hours, I did have a very good window. And then the, um, the wind picked up about 15, 10, 15 knots more than forecast. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it was just really rough. Uh, but I was making it. I was okay. Uh, and then I had 14 miles left to go to Beaufort. And as I turn, because um, I was sailing, and so then I start the motor up because then I have 14 miles to go basically straight into the wind. So you can't sail into the wind. So I uh, turned on the motor and then uh, it, uh, unbeknownst to me, the anchor had, because uh, it was so rough, had one of those secondary standby anchor had come out of its mount and actually dropped while we, I was sailing. So it was dragging behind the boat. Um, and uh, when I turned the motor on, the, uh, the, the road, because it was my secondary one, if it was chain, I don't know what it would happen, but, um, but it was because it was Dyneema, which is really, really strong um, rope. And, uh, it got caught in the prop and seized the prop, which then, um, I got 135 horsepower motor turning against that transmission and it just cooked that transmission. The transmission just got so hot that it, it, uh, burned up all the, um, water lines and all the electrical lines going in the engine bay through there. And, uh, which started flooding the engine bay. Um, and then, you know, I lost 
luckily I still had power to the two systems that I needed power to my navigation equipment and the auto autopilot. And, um, if those had failed, uh, you know, or even, even if this, cause I have hydraulic steering on the boat, if it had burned through that hydraulic steering line too, you know, I wouldn't been able to control the boat. I would have been calling the coast guard a lot earlier than I did. Um, and so, you know, it's blowing 35 to 40 knots out there and you got the seas to go along with it. And then I don't have a motor anymore. And I, it's 14 miles to land, but you got to sail at least 60 degrees, 45 degrees, uh, true, but 60 degrees apparent. Anyway, but about 60 degrees off the wind. So, um, you're, you're not making much headway towards your destination. You know, you have to zigzag back and forth. And so I made it to within six miles of land. And then I, I mean, at that point I've been up for like 48 hours and I was still taking on a little water in the, um, in the engine bay. So I called the coast guard and they came out and, uh, and actually towed me in to, uh, to land. Uh, and it ended up causing about a hundred thousand dollars in damage. Um, cause it, mm. there was, uh, you know, it submerged all the batteries It submerged the generator. It submerged the inverter charger, uh, you know, why submerge the engine basically. Um, and then of course there's the damage caused by the fouled prop and the transmission burning up and all that. Um, so, uh, it was a bad day. Uh, uh, but they towed me in and then, uh, you know, uh, and I'm still dealing with insurance. Uh, they are denying the claim, um, because of basically jurisdictional stuff. They're saying that, when I bought my policy, I was supposed to be, I was in the Caribbean and they were only insuring me for the Caribbean, not the Atlantic. Um, so we're dealing with that, but, um, so they didn't cover that. So basically, um, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> it was, a, it was a bad day and a lot of different things led up to it. What would you have done if you hadn't been able to contact the Coast Guard? Well, I do have basically three ways of, um, Communication. We were only, I was only 14 miles offshore. And then by the time I called them, I was six, but say I, I needed to call them when I was 14 miles offshore. Um, I do have a radio, although I forgot that one burned up. It wasn't working, but I did have a portable handheld radio. It may or may not have reached that far, but there were other boats in the neighbor, in the area that would have definitely heard me and they could have relayed that to the coast guard. Um, I also have a satellite phone, um, which, you know, satellite phone, right. Um, and then, uh, I do have like one of those, uh, it's not a Garmin spot, but it's an in-reach. Um, it's like a GPS locator, but you can text with it. <clears throat> oh. So I could, I was able to contact, I could have contacted them anyway, anyways there. So, um, and then they were, yeah, a few man, layers they, were awesome. they just came then. out and, and basically saved the day. Can I, can I ask a pro- probably stupid question as it mm-hmm. relates to the insurance thing? What, mm-hmm. They only cover you in a certain area of what? I mean, the whole planet is water. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, with sailing, right? It's like, it seems as though you buy insurance for a boat, and then the, the point of the boat is to use it to go places on water. To do boating? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, so, I, what line are they drawing between, like, this area of water and that? I don't get yeah. it. Yeah. I, well, that's, uh, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so that's, I hope my lawyer does too. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, we, I have to get, I mean, it's a hundred thousand dollar claim and you know, they don't want to pay it. Right. Uh, it, uh, I can't do too much on say too much more about it right now. Cause it was everything still pending, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's, so it makes kind of sense depending on where you are. So 
I bought my policy for the Caribbean, um, which is actually more expensive than, say, the East Coast of the U.S. because there's more storms in the Caribbean, right? And so it just never occurred to me that I needed to update my policy because I, I, I left because of COVID. Like I was gonna, I was in, oh. I was in the Caribbean when COVID hit, and then so we were locked down on the Virgin Islands for three months, and then we had to get out of there for hurricane season. My original plan was to go down to Grenada, but um, because that's technically out of the hurricane area, and uh, but Grenada was still closed down and locked down. So then the only other option was go back to the east coast of the USA, which I did. Mm-hmm. And so, and then that they said, I mean, I even told them I did it, which is anyway, uh, you know. So they're saying that the policy doesn't apply to the Atlantic East coast. So we're, we're working on it, Yeah, Jeez. but the viewers, uh, really came through, um, and helping me out, um, with the, with the pay-per-view video about that. So that, that worked. Um, so basically what I did is, is, uh, I put kind of like a little short teaser video on it, like explaining, um, what happened or, or saying a general uh, a synopsis of it basically, but it was only like a five minute video. And then I, I made a 35 minute video, basically <clears throat> documenting that whole 48 hours. And, uh, you know, I did a pay-per-view. I just said, okay, whatever you guys, I mean, a dollar, $5, 10 bucks, whatever you want to do. Um, and, uh, so they could choose the amount they wanted, whatever they thought was worth it and had over 10,000 people do it. So, um, wow. basically, oh, yeah. Nuts. And so I, and, and still, you know, adding a, you know, another hundred or so a day or something. <laughs> Sorry. Is the pay-per-view thing through Patreon? <coughs> no. Um, Sorry, one second. Talking too much. Um, uh, No, uh, I had uh, my web designer uh, basically kind of make a platform there that it it was a, what, through DonorBox. And uh, yeah, really helped out. Man, sorry. I don't think we've we've talked to anybody who has employed a model like that. There are some, um, there are some systems that, that have, uh, kind of different series of paywalls. Like I know Patreon works with uh, a company that, that does this so that you can release content to people on certain tiers and not others. And uh, you know, that's, that's fine, but they've already gotten a ticket for the show, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a question of, uh, uh, of how high level that ticket is and what it unlocks. Uh, What you just described is just uh, straight up, get access to this thing and, and pay what you want. And that's, uh, that's a really neat model. And I, I'm surprised that, that other people don't do it occasionally. Right. Well, I mean, I, I got the idea from another, <clears throat> another, <coughs> damn, I'm sorry. <coughs> another show, they were doing something similar and, uh, yeah, it worked out pretty well for them. So I was like, why not? The main thing is I wanted to be able to let the people decide what amount they wanted to do. And that was the hard part is finding a paywall that would accept that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, I I remember Radiohead. I think being the first band to do that. That was like a big thing. I don't know, right. like, like twenty years ago at this point. But they released yeah. some album, "Hail to the Thief" or something, where it was like, "Yeah, pay whatever you want." With the idea being like, some people will pay one dollar, some people will pay two hundred dollars. Who knows? Right. You know, when I when I worked uh, in the the restaurant industry, I remember asking. Um, uh, what the head waitress at the at the restaurant where I worked because she had just gotten stiffed on <clears throat> on on a on a bill you know that the, there was no tip and I and she wasn't upset about that and I was a busboy at the time and I I thought she should be upset and I didn't understand why she wasn't mad she just got stiffed on this you know hundred and fifty dollar 
dinner bill. And uh, her response was, it'll even out. You know, these people stiff me and these people over tip. And at the end, you know, I pretty much make out good and I'm not upset about about it. So I was like, all right, that makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, if you put it at, okay, it's $5, <clears throat> then everybody's just going to do $5. You know, if you put it, whatever you feel it's worth it to you, there'll be some people that want to be really generous and help out and then they will, you know. Mm-hmm. It's called donor box. Mm-hmm. They okay. take, I believe, one and a half percent. And then, of course, uh, <clears throat> Stripe tapes, you know, 3%. So it costs like four and a half percent to do the whole thing because Stripe's the, or PayPal. Right. Sure. Somebody's got to process those payments, especially if they're coming from all over the world. That can <laughs> right. get uh, a little bit tricky, but it really is uh, important to note that people want to help. They really, they, you know, people uh, that YouTubers I, I talk to um, are sometimes uncomfortable with doing things like opening a Patreon or asking uh, for a little fundraising thing to, to fix something, uh, to get an absolutely necessary upgrade. Um, but the truth is that giving people an option to contribute to what you do is something that a lot of people desperately want. You're actually helping them by, by giving that avenue. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but when I was, uh, when I was young, my brother was very sick and, and people, uh, brought over food to, to the house. And at a certain point, um, the freezer was completely full and we could not, we could not store any more food. And I, I remember, uh, my mom saying we would love, it was this, this plate of lasagna. It's like, we, we would love to do this, but we literally cannot eat it and we cannot store it. Right. You know, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> and the woman was really upset and, and she said, you know, I please just take it. Even if you throw it away after I leave, I just want to feel like I'm doing something and helping. And that was an extreme example, but I've seen that over the last uh, nearly 30 years now play out in so many ways, so many different ways where people desperately want opportunities to help uh, help people they like. And sure. that extends to YouTube, the channels they enjoy watching. They want to contribute to it. They want to uh, be part of what continues its success, grows the channel, uh, and, and makes... Uh, yeah, it makes the content they love just keep coming. And so, yeah, anybody uh, who's, who's listening, who has their own artistic pursuit, whatever it is, don't feel weird about asking people for help because a lot of them really do want to help you. Absolutely. I mean, with Patreon, especially when a, a YouTube channel is starting out, I mean, you're not, it, it, it'll be, oh man, I mean, now nowadays the monetizations on YouTube is a lot better than it was like five years ago. But I mean... <clears throat> You know, it'll be years before you're earning enough on the ad revenue to really fund the channel. Yeah. So that's why you really need the patrons. And, you know, and if the patrons, I mean, if they feel like they're getting five bucks worth of content, great. Yeah. What's it cost to see a movie now? Yeah, like 20 bucks. Well, uh, <laughs> when when you used to be allowed to leave the house, what was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, $20, you know, if you're getting popcorn and a drink and the time and expense of going to do it. Well, look, you're getting like 90 minutes, maybe two hours of of content for 20 bucks. That's $10 an hour. Yeah. Uh, it's perfectly fair to drop five bucks on 35 minutes of really good stuff that you like, especially right. when you know that it's, it's, uh, going for a purpose. There's a, a, a little bit of a cause <clears throat> behind it. Well, and yeah. that and person I think those, needs yeah. that five bucks a lot more than like Disney does. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Di- Disney doesn't need your five bucks. They'll be just fine. 
for sure. But but look, that's that's the story of this podcast. I mean, our <clears throat> patrons yeah. have been invaluable in keeping this podcast going uh, because just yeah. having their support roll in every month allows us to pay to have the episodes edited, allows us to pay to have the uh, the SoundCloud account and everything else that goes into the plugins that we need, you know, uh, to make it sound good costs money. Everything costs money. So, um, yeah, it, it has been, you know, not that I want to spend too much time slurping Patreon because there's there's a lot of reasons (laughs) that we are not happy with them, but I would, I would spend all day slurping our patrons because, um, (laughs) they are, uh, they are the reason the show continues and they're your patrons were the reason that uh, you you kept sailing and doodling and, and making content for the people who like watching it. Absolutely. I mean, if without them, uh, I would have I mean, it, it, I would have ran out of money and had to turn back and do something different, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very grateful. For you them. mentioned. Yeah. You mentioned it taking a long time to get uh, AdSense to a point where it's it's really helping. Well. You know, I understand that that your content is, uh, you know, not terribly controversial, uh, but right. uh, some people just it, it's it, the ultimate crapshoot on whether their video is going to have ads on it, right? Uh, uh, you know, at all, right? Uh, and so, uh, somebody who we, we talked to, Sean Malone, he has a channel called Out of Frame, uh, where he he uh, looks at TV and movies and uh, talks about kind of uh, current issues as uh, the themes are reflected in, in some of those movies. And so by definition, he has to mention uh, the occasional political thing. He has to mention um, some historical things. Uh, you know, we talked to uh, Drew Dernil about this a little bit, where if you're talking about history things, you're going to have to talk about things like wars. Mm-hmm. And the moment you do that, the, uh, the AdSense hammer starts to swing and you generally have no idea whether a video is going to be full monetization, limited monetization, age restricted. It's absolutely, absolutely nuts. So, um, yeah, I mean, depending on, on AdSense is a very dicey proposition, uh, Patreon and and the community behind you, they don't decide month by month whether whether your content should be allowed to make money. Right. It's there or it isn't. Uh, and that's a, a nice, consistent thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's I definitely, uh, you know, p- people say all the time, you know, why don't you talk about this or something political or something on your thing? I'm like, number one, you know, uh, that's not what my show is about. And number two, it is like that. I got to think about, okay, I can't, you know, for monetization reasons and stuff like that, I can't do it. And then. Also, you know, I'm kind of selling a, an escape from all that. You know what I mean? And so my yeah. people don't want to see it. And like, I hate it when actors, you know, they get popular and then they're like, okay, now, now listen to my political beliefs. You know, I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want you to entertain me, not tell me what your thoughts are. You know what I mean? It's just. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I totally hear that. And then you get like <laughs> that certain percentage of people who are upset for not using your quote unquote platform. But right. it's like, you know, I, I didn't start doing this for a platform right <laughs> i started doing this um for every reason other than to tell other people how to live their lives so <laughs> yeah. like i totally hear that for sure um we haven't had a vacation or or tra- i should say travel um youtuber and the circles that i've run in you know at vidcon and stuff i think i've only like literally ever encountered 
one by accident at like a round table at VidCon. I was randomly placed with um, this girl whose name I don't remember at this point, but which is no slight to her. I don't remember what I had for breakfast, but uh, what <laughs> I years what, ago too. <laughs> this was yeah, several years ago. Um, but what I didn't get to ask her that I'd love to ask you um, is if the, 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 the traveling content stuff ever feels like a, a job in a way where you're not getting to really enjoy what is typically considered an escape. Like you said, it's supposed to be an escape for people, but it's really, is it an escape for you or are you on the clock all the time? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm on, on the clock a lot. Um, but I always take at least one or two days a week and no matter where I am, I'm like, okay, this is not a filming day. You know what? I'm just going to go enjoy the beach. I'm going to go enjoy this. Uh, I'm not going to film today. Uh, you know, hiring the editor has helped because I was getting burned out. I mean, it was just so much uh, uh, work, you know, number one, maintaining, you know, doing the editing, doing the filming, and then you got to maintain a boat and deal with all the logistics of travel and all that. So there's a lot to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, it does, like you say, it, it will occasionally feel like, uh, I don't get to experience as much cause I'm kind of looking through the camera instead of opening my eyes and doing that. But that's kind of what everybody's doing these days with their cell phones, right? They're out somewhere and they're videoing it and looking at their camera, you know, instead of that. But, but yeah, I try to take at least a, a day, at least a couple days a week where I'm just like, today's a not filming day. So we're just going to enjoy the day. So, but it can, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and I, I have a, a really practical question that wait, was that the, the end of the line on your question, Kevin, because I, this is such a, a hard right turn that I, <laughs> I don't want to derail your, your thoughts oh, on it. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Cause just generally speaking, like I, I, I'm not a vacation person. Um, but I know a lot of people like that's, I'm weird though. Um, I know a lot of people love vacation and love traveling. So it, it that has just always interested me. Um, is obviously you have to love that to begin with to get into making content. Sure. Um, and if um, that love goes away uh, because of it turning into a job. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's so many times when I've been at anchor and some beautiful, you know, island with a just crystal clear water and you got a white beach and palm trees and, you know, you got a good looking girl with you and all that. And you're looking around and going, yeah, okay, this is pretty cool. And, you know, YouTube made, YouTube has made that possible. So I can't get too mad about it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) Uh, It's it's funny, you know, people use the, the phrase live in the dream and it's always ironic, you know, know, it's like, oh, I woke up and there was a foot of snow in the driveway. So I, I shoveled that live in the dream. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's not so ironic with you, but when, look, when you, uh, had this idea and then decided to, that it was going to be a thing that, uh, you really were going to do it. What did the people around you say? <laughs> Friends, family, anybody like that? They thought I was crazy. Uh, my mom thought I was going to die. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, my dad really didn't like it either. I mean, he was a former pilot as well. He was retired at the time and. And, uh, uh, you know, they just thought, you know, basically I'm throwing my life away or something, you know, and, uh, you know, here we are five years later and, you know, arguably the, the show is pretty successful and, and, uh, it's, it's opened more doors than I would have ever had, you know, doing the traditional route. So, I mean, yeah, uh, there were some people that thought I was crazy or, oh, he, he's just going to do it for a phase and then he'll come back and start over or whatever, which, I mean, that was kind of the, the plan B if it happened, but I'm, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, uh, but I mean, really. 
doing any kind of, I mean, whether it's going sailing and going cruising or even starting a YouTube channel, you know, yeah, there are people that can do it in their spare time and make it a success. But really, if you want to be successful in YouTube, I mean, you got to go. I mean, you because you, you, you need to be making, especially when you're first starting out, you need to be making content every week. And, you know, so you really got to either find that extra time to do it or just be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to go for it. And hopefully I make it, you know what I mean? Uh, and it's, it's a risk, but you know, so is life. Everything in life is. Spotify for podcasters, the, the, uh, Spotify dedicated account on Twitter. That's just for podcasting <clears throat> stuff. Uh, put out a tweet today saying, uh, you know, Hey, Hey podcasters, what would you tell people just starting out? Something like that. And it's, it's kind kind of just what you said, like the the big secret to all content stuff is to actually make that content and then keep making it. Right. <laughs> it's it's like the dumbest thing in the world, but that's, you know, nothing else matters if you're not churning out that content. There's nothing to tweak or improve or build a community around if uh, if it's not coming with some regularity. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I've met, you know, you know, somebody asks what you do or something like oh, I'm a YouTuber or whatever. And, and never, and invariably they'll say something like, oh yeah, I tried doing that. I made three or four episodes and I just wasn't seeing a return on it. And like, well, you only made three or four episodes, you know, try 30 or 40. Yeah. And if you're still not seeing a return, then okay, maybe try something different. You know what I mean? But yeah, three yeah, or Imagine talking to a writer and, and somebody, you know, they're like, yeah, I, I tried being a writer, but I, you know, I wrote like 10 or 20 pages and it just wasn't working out. Right? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I wrote like 10 words and yeah. they were like, not really cool. So I just, yeah. I, I had such an awkward conversation. Matt, I told you about this uh, with a person uh, who I was introduced to. How do I delicately, it, it doesn't matter. I had a meeting I wasn't expecting and shouldn't have had with the person <laughs> and long story short, uh, she started telling me about how she wanted to be a content creator and wasn't sure which platform to start using. And she, you know, has an Instagram, but it's not going very well. And she's thinking about YouTube, but like maybe TikTok and blah, 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 blah. And it was that exact thing. It was that exact thing. It's like, stop thinking about where your, you know, content is going to be the best uh, or for you, or we're going to get the best return or like, you just have to make stuff because you, you, you're into it and you like it and you like the journey. You like the iterative process of seeing a thing uploaded and getting some kind of feedback, even if it's from three people, <laughs> right? That's, that's cool. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, there was a long time where I first started doing YouTube in you know, 2006 or whatever. And like four of my buddies would watch my video and that was awesome. <laughs> that, that, that was really cool to be, to make a thing, show it to four friends and have them laugh. Like that was enough for a really long time. Um, and if you're not into that, then I don't know, do yeah, something yeah. else. It's, probably <laughs> do something else. Yeah. 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 And you know, there's uh, occasionally I'll, I'll do a, a seminar type thing, uh, where, you know, there was one in, in uh, Australia that uh, we mentioned, uh, Tom Videoger, who's uh, quick with the links. Uh, I, I actually met him there uh, and many kudos who had a couple hundred subscribers uh, and now has 65,000 or something and, and was a guest on the show. Um, <laughs> some, some people clearly do not like all the stuff that Kevin just mentioned. 
Um, they don't like everything that Bobby described half an hour ago. That's like, yeah, you compile all of this footage and then you sort it out into the five verticals it needs to be in. And when you have 80 files on the GoPro that need to be completely reconstructed with date and time, you have to sit down and do it. Mm -hmm. And then you, uh, sketch it out to send to your editor and you do this every five days and then <laughs> take a day off and you do it over and over and over for five, six years. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot of people are built for that. And even some of the ones who are don't like it. And it's, it's, boy, it's something that you want to say to the occasional person who clearly doesn't like that stuff. You're like, you know, have you just thought of leaving this room and just never thinking about YouTube again. But you can't say that, you know, to an event they've <laughs> they've come to for YouTube. Well, uh, but the reality is that, yeah, they, they're looking for something to pop and in a way that it probably won't. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, on Vsauce there, you know, you know, your most recent video, they watch, you know, they see you talking to the camera and all that. They don't realize all the writing that went into that. And, you know, you know, all the, you know, many takes you did and setting up the lighting, setting up the gear sending it to the editor, talking back and forth for, you know, hours or whatever, getting it done. They, Cause it looks, I mean, it, it looks easy. It looks like you just sat in front of the camera and yeah. talked for 15 minutes, you know? And they're like, well, I can do that. And you're like, okay, you can, but it's a lot more work than it looks like, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I pitched this idea on a podcast. I don't remember with who, uh, but somewhat recently where um, we, we were talking about YouTube rewind being killed uh, probably for good, I would think at this point, it's probably just over. And um, what I would love to see is a documentary every year, like a really nice documentary where not YouTube, but, you know, YouTube hires an actual documentarian film crew to follow like, I don't know, five YouTubers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of them is is you. One of them is Sailing Doodles. You know, one of them is um, Physics Girl. One of them is David Dobrik and one of them is uh, many kudos, whatever, like yep. a, a nice swath of different types of content creators for a year. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, they put together the documentary. Like who wouldn't watch that? Because you would get you would get what we're talking about um, and you'd get to see it. And in in, I, th I think in a, met a method or in, sorry, in a medium that's a lot more uh, has more mass appeal and it, it would be more persuasive than us talking about it on a podcast. Sure. I mean, they get to, you know, a picture sells a thousand words, right? I mean, it's uh, you know, you, yeah. you can actually see it and experience it. And, and then all the, you know, the hardships that, uh, not the hardships, but all the links that, you know, everybody goes through to make it happen. I mean, like I, I rented a hotel room tonight just so I could talk to you guys so I could get internet, you know, <laughs> uh, because uh, the 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 internet in the marina are, is terrible, and then uh, the cell cell phone service here in Puerto Rico is not very good either. So I uh, just wanted to make sure I got it a good, nice connection, so we didn't drop you. Yeah. We were talking about that before uh, we we hit record. All the people who were hanging out waiting for the start, uh, we're we're hearing that we were talking about internet service. Mm -hmm. What do you have when you're out on the water? What <clears throat> what contact <laughs> is there? Well, um, okay. Now that I have an editor, uh, you know, normally I would just upload the footage on Dropbox into a shared folder, right? And it's already set to go and he's got it. Uh, well, when you're out on the water, yeah, basically, you know, you don't have a wired Wi-Fi or a Wi-Fi, you know I mean? So you're either using, 
the options would be satellite based, which is ridiculously expensive. Uh, I mean, obviously Starlink will be changing that, but like, you know, um, the traditional, uh, you know, uh, satellite internet is number one, pretty slow. I mean, well, relatively slow, you know, um, but it's, uh, it's also like five to $10,000 a month for that. Um, oh. yeah. Uh, so that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. So basically the, the, the main way is, is through cellular data. Um, when you're in the States, we're getting screwed in the States. Uh, we have like the most expensive cell phone plans of the world. You go to like, uh, uh, you know, go to Asia or in the Bahamas, um, you know, you get basically a dollar a gigabyte um, for, you know, 4G, LTE, whatever. And so I just get a hotspot of that. And so I'll buy, you know, 100 gigabytes at a time and upload or whatever. But uh, so that's generally how it happens. And if I'm going to do a longer sale more than a couple of days, um, you know, I just plan accordingly where I don't need. <clears throat> to get internet access during that time. Um, but nowadays, you know, I'll organize the footage and um, I'll put it all on a, you know, 256 gigabyte, you know, SD card. And uh, I mail that now to my family. And my mother is not very computer savvy at all. So basically I went to her computer, set up Dropbox <clears throat> and then wrote out instructions like insert, click this file, you know, move it. And so now she can, she can do all that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I love that. That's the greatest <laughs> process I've ever heard yeah. for making YouTube videos is mailing your mom <laughs> an SD card yes. and yeah, then awesome. giving her, yeah, like step-by-step post-it yeah. note instructions on how to upload it so your editor can get to it. That's amazing. When um, when when I was on the, the ship, the Royal Caribbean ship, right. um, doing the, doing the, um, uh, the solar eclipse video, uh, I was very, very distraught learning that the internet connection out at out at sea was was not very robust mm -hmm. uh, because of the fact that, um, uh, as you may realize, a lot of people were making solar eclipse videos for YouTube, and the faster you could edit it and upload it, the better. Right. So, uh, as I'm like 400 miles off the coast of florida or wherever we were exactly uh unable to <clears throat> upload this thing for a really long time um i think that by the time we got back to the u.s to oh, yeah to the u.s and uploaded you know edited and uploaded that solar eclipse video it was like two days after it had happened it was a couple days, which was yeah. like such old news right. when it comes to an event like that it was like yeah, yeah i already watched like like 13 solar eclipse videos, uh, Kevin. It's like a uh, Super Bowl video coming out <clears throat> in June. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like a Super Bowl video coming out Wednesday. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, we saw the Super Bowl on Sunday. Thanks. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, unlike, uh, you know, on my show, it's it's definitely, there's a timeline in all the videos. So like on your, on an educational podcast or something like, or not podcast, but show, um, you know, if there's a current event like that's happening right now, you can make a video of it, put it up in real time. Whereas <clears throat> it confuses my viewers a lot. So like, you know, I, the videos that are coming out now, I filmed back in early January. So if I put a video of what I'm doing right now and put it in the middle of those videos, people get really confused and they don't understand like, why this is not chronological. So it is kind of a annoyance that I can't really do current event type stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, just because it's that kind of show. I mean, even like a daily, well, even a daily vlogger, right? Because they can still do it uh, because there's generally there's not the travel vlogging industry in, in general 
everything's got to be sequential. So it's just another hurdle to jump. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a bit of a lag. That makes mm -hmm. sense. But yeah, I mean, that's the nature of the content that you're creating. So yeah. Well, I mean, know. some of the, I mean, I've been as, as far ahead of the videos as about two and a half, three months before. Uh, some of the, I mean, you know, some of the other sailing YouTube channels have been six to nine months um, ahead of their videos. And, and, uh, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> they could have a, a baby could have been born and well, nobody would know. That's, hap <laughs> that's happened. That has happened. I'm not joking. There, there's, there's, uh, you know, all of a sudden they announce they're pregnant and then the next video, the baby's born or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, it's cause they took the <laughs> nine months off to be pregnant or whatever, you know? Um, right. yeah, no, that does happen. There's been, man, I knock on wood, I guess, uh, there's a, it's been a rash of babies born in, in the sailing genre lately. <laughs> there's a bunch of them. Uh, I mean, look, my, my, my surface level analysis here is, is that, uh, the number of things to do on, on a boat <laughs> yeah. is a shorter list than in real life. So it seems like, uh, uh ripe territory for baby making. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> the, t some of the top, oh, I mean, yes, the top two, they definitely have had kids in the last couple of years, yeah. <laughs> but we're all a pretty good community. I mean, we, 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 uh, you know, uh, at least a few of us, we all know who each other are and we're friends and we'll hang out and stuff like that in the, in the sailing community. So it's pretty nice. It's a, it's a good group. That's good. That's good. Yeah. The, the education side of YouTube is all very friendly with each other too. I wonder, I wonder is like the makeup community, all bitter rivals. Like I wonder which communities on YouTube are just full of vitriol. Um, it's good that the, the sailing community is cool because it cool with each other because it makes sense that you could meet up right. and do videos together and collab and uh, all of that sort of stuff seems like a natural fit well it is i mean i think in general for youtube it's just a mindset that you have to have personally like i remember when i was first starting out i was like well why what is it this person's video just went viral why didn't mine you know and you're like and you're kind of maybe bitter or you're jealous or something and then or you know you don't want to mention their stuff because you don't want to promote them you know you want to promote your own and then you're like <clears throat> once you realize that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if another sailing channel does awesome and gets like a hundred million views in a month, well, you know, maybe I'm the, you know, the recommended next on their channel sometime, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's, yep, it's good. If they do well, then you're bringing more viewers into the sailing genre that actually like, Oh, there's people that do this. Cause like, you know, it is on YouTube. You'll be scrolling along and you go down a rabbit hole and you're like, I had no idea people were making content like this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, look, we, we just spoke with uh, Drew Dernil, who does, um, uh, Matt mentioned him earlier in this in this podcast, because he does really unique content where he talks about, uh, like, kind of like historical Reddit memes and, and flags and geography and stuff like that. And and he actually said that he, he has kind of the opposite problem, where he's a bit alone. He's a bit isolated in the type of content that he makes. Mm -hmm. and And that can be very detrimental because yeah who's recommending you if you're you're on that island well i mean yeah i mean that's yeah it's uh, well the algorithm is a mysterious thing right i mean who knows mm -hmm. and i mean maybe it's helpful because you know nobody is nobody else is making content like that so there's less competition you know what i mean so mm -hmm. i mean it's just it's just about and it's crazy like i'll i'll have videos that i filmed three years ago like i'm having some right now that like the, the videos are more than two years old and all of a sudden they're the, my 
most viewed videos of the day. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just weird how YouTube will circle back to that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a, a nice timeless element to a lot of your content though, right? Yeah, I, I do see seasonally, um, <clears throat> uh, generally this time of year, um, February, March, April is, is a good time of year <clears throat> for content. And the summer is as well. Um, November, uh, sorry, September, October, are, and November are generally pretty poor. I guess everybody's going back to school and don't have time to watch all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah. And my, because I have a different, my uh, demographics are like seventy five percent of my stuff. My my viewers are forty five and pl forty five plus. Oh, that's really? wild. That's mm -hmm. radically different from anybody we've ever talked to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, because you got the sailing genre. Doesn't interest a lot of twenty-year-olds, but your fifty-year-old yeah. that's dreaming about retiring in the next couple of years—they're looking at it, you know. Right. Yeah. Which I, I guess that helps with AdSense too, because like you know your, your CPM. I mean, your the people that watch your videos are the rich guys with money, you know. So um, that kind of helps your CPM. Yeah, I mean, if you can afford a boat, I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. you probably yeah are having some pretty high-dollar um, ads thrown your way. It's like I remember. Uh, years ago reading an article about the 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 ads on Mad Men that show uh, was yeah. it on AMC yeah. Mad Men was not a lot of people watched that show it was a niche show it wasn't like the time, yeah. um, everybody loves Raymond or whatever it didn't get 40 million viewers but it it had such a rich audience that they raked it in with you know their like Mercedes Benz commercials mm-hmm and yeah. like watch watch commercials. I don't know <laughs> Rolex commercials or whatever. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe eventually I'll have to get into into the boating game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do it, man! Come on, uh, come on down to the boat. We'll give you a spare cabin for a while and uh, have fun. Hey, have you had anybody do that top tier for six months and and go sailing with you? Yeah. Um, well, uh, yes. There's one guy we're trying to coordinate it now. Um, so yes. Uh, uh, I was hoping to try to do something in March and April, but we'll see how COVID goes. Um, oh, right. You know, but yeah. yeah, I've had, I've had one guy do it and then I've done it a couple of times where I did a, uh, just as a perk, I did a random drawing from patrons, um, to invite somebody down. Oh, nice. <clears throat> so I haven't done that in a while though. Um, you know, it just haven't. They were cool. It wasn't awkward or anything. Uh, yeah, they're pretty cool. I, 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 so in somewhat in the beginning, I actually would, um, like, Especially when trying to make ends meet, I, I on my second boat, it was actually doing a delivery. So I met a guy while I was just screwing around in Thailand that owned a boat, a Beneteau 50 in Canada. <clears throat> and he gave it to me for a year, basically to deliver it to Thailand. And so to help make ends meet, we would like uh, lease out a cabin to somebody for a week or two. And so they would come down and, you know, for a hundred bucks a day or 150 bucks a day. And, uh, and then uh, I, yeah, most everybody was really cool. Only had one guy i regret having him there but um most everybody was pretty cool <laughs> okay fair enough fair enough i won't ask i won't ask what what went on there <laughs> oh just, no uh, he we'll was just, just le an leave it at that yeah okay <laughs> um, well <laughs> i know that we uh uh we have questions from our patrons and that we'd love we to ask you yeah sure um because they've got questions for you and that's one of the perks that we give to our patrons is they get to hang out in the chat while we record live with our guests and throw some questions at, at them. So, uh, Matt, if you want to take that away. Yeah, the first question is actually from me because I, I just it didn't seem to fit before now. But I, I really want to know this. So when you're uh, popping along the coast, uh, you're stopping in. I'm sure you're eating there when you're on the water for 
a long stretch, what do you eat? Well, the longest stretch I've ever done was 17 days um, from Mexico to French Polynesia. Uh, you know, I mean, I have you, you have refrigerator and a freezer. Um, and generally, you know, you'll have fresh food for a week of that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so and then you get, uh, you know, then you're in your pastas and rice and your freezing chicken and all that. Um, <clears throat> you do some fishing if you'd like. I'm not a big fisherman, but we have caught fish before while we're cruising and just brought it on board, cleaned it and ate it. Um, so uh provisioning you you try to do uh, you know i'll keep three or four months worth of like canned and dried goods on the boat um just as uh just in case you know what i mean um and then you know you you generally once a week or so go to the markets wherever you are sometimes you know you're not getting the best stuff like in the bahamas it's pretty hard and very expensive to get decent produce um because some of those islands are pretty remote you know and uh, they get a mail boat once a week that brings their vegetables and stuff because they don't grow anything locally. And then, you know, once you're like in the South Pacific and all that, I mean, you're just you're going to the local farmer market and buying whatever you need. And then they have, they have stores like that. So, I mean, you can generally man, there's storage everywhere on boats so under under every chair or under every seat. There's storage, you know what I mean? So they're, they're, they're under the floorboards, there's storage, um, <clears throat> especially going to places like French Polynesia and uh, the Bahamas. I definitely stock up about as much beer as I can carry on the boat. Cause that's really expensive there. <laughs> that's the hard part. It, yeah. uh, so let's see, there are a couple of these that are kind of, uh, should be grouped together. Um, but, but as I do that in my head here, Dan, who, uh, does a fair bit to make this show happen, has a very practical question about that SD card, uh-huh. uh, that you ship out. Uh, do you, do you always copy that before it, it goes out like what's is there a failure rate on damaged in shipping like any problems with that haven't had any problems yet um but yeah i mean i i don't i i keep you know uh, i i have a you know a slew of portable hard drives and i have lost one of those before um <clears throat> got damaged but uh uh yeah i mean i i don't put my only copy in the mail i mean so if it does get lost i can just upload it to a new card and send it but yeah i mean it yeah i mean i think i've got I don't know. I, I, you know, I got to rot- I got about six of those SD cards that, you know, just, you know, if I need them rotate. Yeah. So something that, that, uh, is a major part of your channel that, that we really didn't bring up, uh, before, before now, oh. this is from, um, Monsieur Chinchilla is, is about you having dogs on the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, uh, that's a, a, a substantial part of the content. What was the process like, uh, getting, Getting the dogs to adapt to to sailing life. <laughs> it was hard. Um, Maverick, uh, so two Labradoodles named Maverick and Goose, obviously being a pilot. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, Maverick took to it right away. I mean, he had no problems in it, even when the uh, seas were rough. Goose, on the other hand, uh, you know, he never really liked it that much. I, 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 so they're not with me anymore. Um, <clears throat> so... We were sailing last spring in February, actually. It was January. We were in the Bahamas, and uh, Maverick got sick, and he was pretty sick, uh, like coughing a lot, and there was a little blood in his cough. And uh, so, and we were in Georgetown. There's no vets. There's no, you know, CT machine or uh, no x-ray machines. And we actually had a patron uh, fly down in his private airplane and picked us up and flew us back to Florida so we could take him to a vet and... uh, Oh, wow. They x-rayed him and, and unfortunately uh, it was cancer uh, and he ended up passing away. Uh, so then uh, I, I, he flew us back to Florida where I did that. And then 
when we got the bad news, I rented a car and we drove straight back to Dallas. And then I was with them for about a week or so until uh, we had to, 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 you know, put them away, put them down, unfortunately. Um, but uh, so that was really cool of our patron to do that because uh, otherwise, you know, I, I don't know what we were going to do. Uh, it's, it, it's, you know, it can be. And so, yeah, I miss him a lot. Uh, and then so when I flew back with him, we brought Goose too. And um, <clears throat> Goose is a bit older now too. They're brothers. So he's 10 and a half. And it just, I didn't feel it was right to, to bring him back on a boat when he, he, you know, his hips are getting bad. So he's with my parents now. Sure. Um, and unfortunately he's not doing real well right now. I'm actually, uh, maybe going to have to fly back to Dallas in the next couple of days, uh, and see if we got to, uh, anyway, it's a tough thing, you know, losing a, losing a, you know, a, a pet. They're like family. So, yeah, well, that's terrible. I, I do have a larger question though, about, about, you on the boat with medical stuff because you know i having having the the start to all of this be a significant life change after a stroke at a very young age you know you don't you don't hear a whole lot of uh, people in their 30s uh having uh strokes aneurysms things like that it does happen but it's not you know an everyday thing uh seems like you can only do so much to prep for emergencies Right. on a boat is there any i mean how do you how do you do this knowing that it's that a significant problem can pop up out of nowhere mm -hmm. that that you'd have to deal with um how do you how do you do it well yeah i mean that that was definitely um a, a bit of uh <clears throat> maybe a little bit of an anxiety especially at first when i was doing it um but uh, the type of thing, stroke I had was a dural AV fistula, uh, especially it, it, it happened because I had a malformation of blood, uh, blood vessels. It wasn't like because of a clot. Um, oh, okay. And so the doctors said it's no more likely to happen to me again than anybody else. Right. Um, it, it could have been just, right, I was well, born like that or, or, uh, you know, I, I could have hit my head when I was playing football when I was 12. You know what I mean? Um, sure. So. I mean, there is some concern on that, but general, I mean, and, and generally the cruising community, the people that are out sailing are generally somewhat older. And so that is a, a, a thing you have to think of. Now there is insurance you can get. Um, there's one of the insurers is called Dan, but it's for divers, but it works for sailors and stuff too. It's like $250 a year and um, it's emergency rescue service. So wherever you are in the world, they will come get you. I mean, obviously if you're in the middle of the ocean, you know, you're kind of screwed, but I mean, if you're, sure. you know, uh, if you're in the Bahamas or in the Virgin Islands or something like that, and you're having an issue and it would take you, you know, to, uh, you have to go to the hospital right then. They'll send somebody to get you, take you to the nearest medical facility to get you stabilized. And then they will put you on an airplane to, uh, you know, your hospital of choosing. Um, now then, I mean, Obviously, if you're having a heart attack or something, that's not much of a help, you know, but if you've got like a broken leg sure, or something yeah. like that, you know what I mean? That that's kind of what that's for. Um, as far as. So there's some degree of just having to roll the dice. on Yes. Yeah, I mean, exactly. But I mean, you know, if you, I mean, you roll the dice, if you go walk down the street, go for a jog, ride your bike down the street. You know what I mean? It's just <clears throat> what risk I hate to quote, uh, what is that? Uh, you know, uh, Brody from, uh, what is that? Oh, what's that stupid surf movie with. Uh, whatever it's like if you want the ultimate you got to be willing to pay the ultimate price what movie is that that's yep. point break point break thank you <laughs> that's our first point break reference on the podcast <laughs> which i'm excited about <laughs> yeah Bodie, there is yeah 
Yeah. So, I mean, there is yeah, that. That's good. I mean, it, it is a concern, yeah. but, you know, you just got to, you got to, I mean, heck, until the last hundred years, I mean, uh, you know, uh, that was, that wouldn't be an issue because it wouldn't have mattered, you know? Sure. Yeah. So there's another kind of general uh, practical practical question here that that comes from Tom. What what is the the normal day in the life of of Bobby like at this point? Um. Well, so I just got a new boat right now. So I've been working on that. I haven't been filming it too much. Um. There's a lot of sailing channels that will film a lot of their boat repairs and all that. I don't, mine's more of a lifestyle thing. It's not. If you want to learn how to fix something on your boat. There's a lot better videos than I can make on it. So mine is just maybe more the lifestyle. So lately I've just been working on the boat. Anytime you get a new boat, uh, there's lots of stuff to to upgrade and repair and and get how you want it. So that takes a few weeks. I'm, I'm hoping to set sail again uh, next week. And so that will be, you know, get up in the morning. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, depends on where we are. You know, like if we're anchored off some island, whatever, get up in the morning, make a cup of tea. You know, sit there and just relax and enjoy the the view. You know, I mean, you're at this beautiful island, do that. And then, you know, maybe film a little bit of that. And then if we're moving to a different anchorage that day, then, you know, check the weather and uh, start filming some of the preps to get ready and then film getting underway. And, and uh, you know, I've got uh, two friends coming down next week that'll be joining on the boat. Actually, one's a returning crew member. Well, they're both returning crew members. Um, <clears throat> so that'll be nice. And we'll, we'll just set off and, and go. Uh, and then just, you know, anytime there's something interesting, I pick up a camera. I don't really plan out what I'm going to, well, I mean, I'll, I'll plan out certain activities we're going to do, but I'm not going to plan out like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a script or anything. Although, you know, when, it, you know, certain things will do, like we're getting underway, I'll put the drone up, you know, fly the drone as we're pulling up the anchor or something. And then if the conditions are right and it's calm enough, fly the drone while we're actually sailing, um, which it can be pretty tricky trying to get the drone back. Uh, haven't lost any yet, but, uh, but that's why it's got to be the right. I can conditions. see how you might. Uh, and that's why, and I definitely, you know, I got the Phantom Four because it's got the big landing gear. Because um, trying to catch that on the boat can be hard. Um, and then uh, you know, fly the drone while we're when we make it to the new anchorage. Just kind of give everybody the lay of the land and all that um, of what they're seeing, and uh, and then go explore the island. You know, we generally pick an anchorage or an island because there's something interesting to do. Um, and so, you know, I'll have an idea of what those, you know, like maybe there's a rainforest or there's a good snorkeling spot or there's, you know, this place is known for, you know, uh, nurse sharks or something, you know what I mean? And go and go explore it. You mentioned earlier uh, being in Puerto Rico. Now mm -hmm. one of our longtime patrons and, uh, and, chat members here now is marco he's in puerto rico himself hmm. and he he wants to know what your favorite thing about the island is oh man um i mean the first thing that popped into my head was culebra which is actually uh another island uh <clears throat> just east of puerto rico but it's under puerto rican territory um and it's just got one of the most beautiful beaches in the world the flamenco beach and it's just gorgeous um it used to be a, a training like a training place for the Navy and military. They would like, they okay. put tanks on the beach and shoot shells at them and stuff. Kind of interesting. Uh, and then, you know, the Puerto Rican people are just really nice. They're very, uh, any excuse for a party, um, you know, and uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously with COVID things are a little tame, but you know, I can't, when they, <clears throat> once they lift the restrictions like COVID, this place is going to blow up. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, they, they're just going to go crazy. And, uh, and, 
you know, and I'm actually making Puerto Rico my home. Like I'm moving my residence here uh, for multiple oh, reasons. Wow. Number one, it's an easy launch point to the rest of the Caribbean. Sure. Uh, it's still America, so you can get anything you want, even from Amazon. It may take a couple more days, but you can still get it. Yeah. Uh, the cost of living is pretty cheap, but the main reason are the taxes. Um, yeah, there he goes. He's got a picture of uh, one of the tanks on the beach there in Calibra. That's pretty cool. Uh, but uh, uh, it, the uh, the tax, so the corporate tax rate, so you guys might want to think about this, uh, is 4%. And, yeah, and Whoa, that's and, fairly friendly. Yeah, and the federal income tax is, I think, for certain people can be as little as zero. Um, so the taxes here are really nice. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you in Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. There, you do. You do. There's. There's. You, I mean, you actually have to be here for six months and a day to make it count. There's a couple other ways of doing it. You can also do yeah. no closer connection, which means you can't own or rent anything like a house or motorhome or anything in the mainland. Anything you own or rent has to be here in Puerto Rico. Um, or and you have to or move your company here, which you could do, and you have to have more than one employee. There's. It's kind of complicated, but you can do it. That's wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, we were we were talking uh, just a week or two ago about uh, all the solutions that are popping up for people who do uh, have have careers that are kind of placeless, right? You know, like YouTubers can kind of be anywhere, and uh, places like Estonia have been extremely friendly uh, to to digital workers. Uh, and, and I think now that, that more people are working from home uh, and, and working away from a traditional office, I think that stuff is going to absolutely flourish in coming years. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think it's changed the way everybody's done business. Uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see what happens with travel and all that. I mean, once COVID recovers, because I mean, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to do the airline industry and stuff, but I mean. You know, a lot of the business travel is, I mean, that's or most of the business travel is not happening. And people are like, wait a minute, I don't have to spend $2,500 a month on uh, airline tickets. We can just do this over Zoom, you know? So, yeah, no, it's changing a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, um, it'll be interesting let's to see. see. Yeah. No, it is. So, on uh, uh, another trend that we're seeing, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how this started. Maybe it was a TikTok thing, but uh, sea shanties are a big deal now. As of uh, the last couple months, it's uh, it's really a, a pretty heavy trend. Uh, even even the Trailer Park Boys released uh, <laughs> one of their own originals the other day. Um, what is a sea shanty? But, uh, is that like a, a sea shanty? The uh, yeah, the the centuries old sailing songs. Do you have any any sailing music that you prefer? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, when we were going to uh, French Polynesia, I probably listened to uh, Southern Cross by Crosby, Stills and Nash like every day, like, multiple <laughs> times a day. Cause that's what that's about. Uh, yeah, no, uh, for sure. That one, there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of like pretty good, uh, like kind of reggae type stuff by the stick figures and stuff that seems to be, uh, and a couple of those other bands stuff or like, uh, what's that? Um, oh, um, uh, sticky fingers and stuff. They do some stuff kind of like sailing back areas, Crosby, Stills, Nash. And then, you know, there's a bunch of, them. um, you know, I kind of, you know, you got the whole, there's a whole genre, I guess now they're calling it sea shanties, but it used to be, uh, what, uh, you know, yacht rock, right? <laughs> yacht rock. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I think there's a Sirius XM station called yacht rock that my, my brother listens to when he's on his probably 12 foot, mm -hmm. 12 foot, uh, uh, boat. 
Uh, and I, I think he does it kind of ironically, but it's, it's just good, fun music. Oh, and of course, uh, uh, it's a non-skip song. And whenever it comes up on random on, the, you know, playing something on the phone, but uh, Lonely Island, I'm on a boat. You got you to listen to that every now and again, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, listen, uh, listening to like Yacht Rock, ironically, it, it starts out ironically for like 30 seconds and then 31 seconds into it, you're like, I, I like it. It's yeah, awesome. I'm absolutely. actually having a great time. <laughs> absolutely. It's good uh, stuff. You know, the yacht part is the ironic part for him because he's on this thing that fits him, a motor and a fishing pole. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Not much better. Can I mean, not much of a yacht. I, that's one of my favorite things to do, you know, especially, you know, in the, when the, like, especially if I'm out on anchor somewhere, my, that's what I do. That's a routine almost every day that I don't miss is uh, right is right about sunset. Maybe pour like a glass of bourbon or get a beer. Sometimes I'll smoke a cigar put on some tunes and watch the sunset go down and pretty much do that every day. And I mean, it's, it's definitely a mental reset being able to do that. It kind of puts your priorities, right. You know I mean? Like people get too caught up on what's going on on Facebook, you know, and all that, uh, or Instagram or whatever. And you gotta like, you gotta enjoy, enjoy your life a little bit, you know, enjoy the moment. Uh, there's actually a question about that, uh, about whether you had rum on the boat oh. at all times is, is bourbon your, your, uh, eh spirit of choice yeah, if i'm smoking a cigar or something i go with the with the bourbon i mean i do have rum it's not like super common uh, on the boat i mean uh i'm more of a beer and wine guy i, I don't do too much hard liquor um but uh yeah i mean we stock the boat with everything i mean because you know it's uh it uh and because like i, I kind of go back before i mean like i try to okay if i'm going out especially in the Bahamas or something or in the Virgin Islands or wherever. Sure. We'll go to, uh, and Don Q is a good rum for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, if we're going to go to a restaurant or go ashore, or go to the beach, something, yeah, sure. We'll go to the, and buy a, a drink there or something. But as far as, you know, on the boat, I mean, when I leave Puerto Rico, you know, I might be gone for three or four months cruising around, you know, all the islands, the Virgin Islands, St. Martin, St. Thomas, and, you know, St. Bart's, all that stuff. The goal would be to not have to reprovision, alcohol on the boat until I get back to Puerto Rico. So like two or three months worth of booze on there just because, I mean, you know, a, ca- a case of beer in Puerto Rico is like 19 bucks. A case of beer in St. Martin is 50, you know, or more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a difference. Yeah. Wow. I mean, in the, in the, in the, in the Bahamas, uh, a case of beer in like, uh, uh, Nassau is $45. Now, if you go to like, um, you know, Yost, not Yost, that's, that's uh, Virgin Islands, but uh, I can't, I've gone blank on the name, but some of the islands out there, it'll be like $70 for a, a case of beer. And it's just really expensive. Wow. This is a, a, a trick that I used back in the day. About, about 10 years ago, I kind of country hopped for a few years. And one of the ways to determine which, you know, you make a list of, of plausible places and there might be five or six or seven uh, and nothing to really decide which which one to to get a ticket to well uh, an amazing thing is to go to a website like pint price <laughs> yeah. which tracks the the price of a pint of beer worldwide and there's such a strong correlation uh, between cost of living being very low and cheap beer that you can say well hey uh, bulgaria is half the price of greece right now you know you want to avoid the places where a pint of beer is is 550 euros uh, and and go to some place where you can get a beer and a sausage for like a dollar fifty. Uh, but yeah, using alcohol and, and beer to to track general cost of living for destinations amazing trick. I recommend it to everyone. Absolutely, I agree with you one hundred percent on that one. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so do you have any unexplainables? This this is really interesting. So the, the way the question was posed here is, have you encountered any Krakens, mermaids, or other piratey <laughs> events? Uh, um, no, I, no. I feel like you, you may not have, but has there been anything that's that's been weird or unexplainable or just amazing? Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, like I remember crossing the Pacific Ocean. I mean, we were at one point more than a thousand miles from any, any point of land. Um, and you know, you still see birds out there sometimes and you're like, where did this bird come from? You know, how did it, I mean, it's, where does it rest? Yeah. Oh, you know, and it's just like, you know, and you'll see them out there. I mean, but uh, you know, I don't know how they do it. And, but then of course it is kind of amazing because they're all attracted to the boat because I mean, for anywhere sure, it looks, all it looks sees is water. And all of a sudden there's some kind yeah. of object on the water and it comes and checks us out and it'll keep on going. Um, no, no, no. You know, it freaks you out when you see some sea snakes or something. Um, you know, that would it'd be, you'd be, I mean, it was crazy going sailing through like Indonesia and, and places like that. And you're out there pretty far from land and you'll see a snake in the water and you're like, eh, you know, and those things are pretty poisonous too. So you want to, I mean, I think it's pretty hard for them to actually bite you, but it can happen. That seems kind of, kind of terrifying. Like something that Kevin would have made a video about a few years ago about the combination of human terrors in one animal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, we did it. I did a, a video uh, of Nue, Nue, N-I-U-E, I believe, or N-U-I-E. I don't know. I can't remember how to spell it. I'm sure Tom will have it up pretty quick. But, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, that is known for its sea snakes. And we, so we did a scuba diving thing there. And uh, during the scuba dive, we I counted them. Like I put a little counter in the video. I, mean, I think we got up to like 20 sea snakes. And they were like <sighs> very curious too. They would come up and like, swim around you because they they're just really curious things and they and it would like you like the, i remember the scuba diving uh the, the guide put his arm out like kind of making like a airplane type thing and the sea snake just went and swam around his arm like i don't know three times and then swam off and it was you know pretty sorry actually it wasn't a uh i can't remember what kind it was but i mean you know they're very poisonous but they only do it in defensive stuff you know so okay yeah so if if uh, you don't threaten them, they're unlikely to yeah. Yeah. to bite. Yeah. Well, I mean, and from from and it's my uh, us, what I've been told. This could be an old wives' tale that like their fangs are so far back in their jaw that they can't just come up and bite you like on the thigh, right? Uh, they'd have to get you like in the webbing of your fingers or something like that, you know. Um, oh. So I mean, because they're they're made for getting fish, right? Not for getting you know, or, or, you know, stuff like that. So, and, 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 and they're not yeah. using it. I mean, you know, it's mainly for killing prey, not for other stuff. So, yeah. Well, the, uh, the last one that we've got here is kind of a general one. And, and we touched on it a little bit through the conversation, but sailing and, and boating is, is really portrayed as, uh, kind of a, a luxury endeavor, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, kind of, ultimate fun, right? As a, as a vacation activity and getting away from everything. So how accurate, how accurate is that portrayal? Uh, it's not very accurate. Um, you know, cause you see, you know, like the scene from trading places or whatever, you know, they're on the yacht and you know, they got yeah. the bottle of champagne and you know, they got a butler on the thing. Okay. That's kind of what people connotate. But like my first boat, I paid $24,000 for it. So it probably costs less than most people car. And then we were living on about $2,000 a month and you know, so realistically, it's not expensive to do. And especially if you go to, 
if you go to Asia, if you buy a boat like in Thailand and do it there, you can live really well on that boat for $1,000 a month. Because think about it, you don't, anchoring is free, right? So you're not paying rent. Um, yep. Generally, if the boat's set up well enough, you've got solar panels and, you know, you're self-sufficient making power. You have a, a, a lot of boats will have a water desalinator. So like my boat has a water, so I can turn seawater into drinking water. Um, and, you know, it, it, you're basically the only expense you have is maintenance on the boat, which could be, and it varies. I mean, you know, you, it, you probably want to budget two to $500 a month. Um, and depending on, on, you know, what size boat you have, how old it is and all that. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then it's just how much do you want to spend on your food and your time ashore and all that? Because, you know, you don't have many other expenses. Um, and so, you know, there's people that live on a boat for a thousand bucks a month, even in like, you know, the Bahamas or the Florida Keys. I wouldn't do that. I mean, I always tell people the cheapest I would want to live on a boat um, if I didn't have to do the YouTube thing and do all of the dealing with that, right? Because that's expensive and it's, you know, buying gear and you have sure. to keep replacing the gear because it's all water. Things. But if you're just going to live on it, I was telling like $2,500 a month and you're living okay. If you can bump that up to like $3,500 a month, you're living pretty well on the boat. Because think about it. That's like a hundred bucks a day for food and alcohol and entertainment, you know? And so it's however much that's, you want to spend. Yeah. And uh, and so it's really not you know, that bad. If you can't get by with unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, yeah. the, the Caribbean and the Bahamas... Um, are the most expensive place to sail other than maybe like French Polynesia. Um, uh, the, actually the Mediterranean is pretty cheap to sail depending on where you are. Um, and then Asia is dirt cheap to sail. So it's really not too bad. It's, I, I would, it's not as expensive as people think for sure. And there's plenty of, uh, you know, videos on people, you know, explaining what their monthly costs are. I think I even, even have done a couple of videos on it and a podcast on it too. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I'd recommend it if anybody's thinking about doing it. I mean, just start watching me. Watch Sailing Doodles. Watch uh, any of the other YouTube vloggers. You can you can find uh, a sailing vlogger that matches your personality and your you know how you like to live. I mean, there are all kinds out there, and then you can just watch and see how they're doing it. And uh, you know, it's really it's 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 a you know it, it it's a very it's not for everybody. I mean, you have to be pretty self-sufficient. Um, you do need to know how to work on your boat and how to fix mechanical things on your boat and, you know, do that. But it's, it's pretty nice. It's very rewarding if you can do it. You get to see a lot of places that, I mean, a lot of places, that, you know, you can make a, tr you can do a vacation to the Bahamas where you fly into Nassau or Georgetown, or maybe you even go to like one of the more remote islands where they have a resort. But there's 700 islands in the Bahamas and only like 40 of them are inhabited, right? So I'm anchored off at this uninhabited island that, you know, maybe only a couple hundred people to go to a year, you know, and it's pretty awesome to do. Huh. <laughs> That's crazy. Wild. Well, yeah. <clears throat> look, th this was great having you on, man. I really, really am so excited uh, because, you know, like we said at the outset, it, it's so different from our usual uh, discussion with, um, you know, memers and uh, comedians <laughs> and <laughs> talking about like, uh, like serial tier lists. Um <laughs> So, um, it was really a pleasure and, um, thanks to all of our patrons for hanging out with us. Uh, thanks to, to sailing doodles patrons for allowing him to, to continue to do what he does. Yeah. And, and thanks to all of our patrons for allowing us to have these great conversations. If you want to become a patron of the create unknown, just go to patreon.com slash the create unknown, become a $2 tot, join the dumpster crew, become part of the infantry or, 
you know, someday maybe you can you be part of the the baby gang. That's kind of that that's our uh, upper upper tier where they go. Uh, they don't necessarily go sailing with us after six months, but I think <laughs> no, conceptually after six they months. Do. Yeah, yeah. After six months, you're eligible to um, go in Kevin's dimly lit studio and read a math book with him for a day. <laughs> <laughs> that's the the Vsauce two top tier payoff. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to sign up right now. I'm going to sign up right now. well uh bobby thanks again everybody check out sailing doodles it's totally different um than than perhaps what you're used to and uh it's it's really really a fascinating channel i I have enjoyed uh checking out your videos over the past week and i encourage everybody else to uh to do so and see where um you know bobby ends up next or where he ended up next a couple of months ago at least (laughs) well i appreciate it and i I really enjoy you guys uh work too i was uh i watch all your stuff too so really nice awesome well uh thanks again and uh yeah until uh until next week everyone see you space cowboys thanks for listening to the create unknown We'd like to extend a huge thank you and congratulations to the Tots and Dumpster crew who save tiny little lives every month. A tremendous shout out to our elite baby gang, Trevstad, Boromir, Botdogs, Chinchilla, Isaac, Conrad, James, Jeff Davis, Patrick Pister, Baseweight, and Dojangles. And thank you to our grizzled, battle-hardened child infantry. Jen Mefisanti, Kevin Menard, Mikhail Steinke, Risebread, Sean Malone, Triple Question Mark, Monaghan, Ryan Kinder, Sheep, and Maruko. Thank you as well to our producer and editor, Ben Webster, and to our media manager, Dan Yosua. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production.